You are Locked On Pacers, your daily Indiana Pacers podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome in to the Locked On Pacers podcast. My name is Adam Friedman, as always, I'm the host of this wonderful podcast, and joining me today to break down the Pacers backcourt, all the shooting guards, all the point guards, and Tony says maybe a guy was maybe a forward slash guard, and that's who's don't want to be Tony East from Forbes.com. Now, what's setting up with news? Tony, how are you? I am doing wonderful. We had a whole day uh, with no Pacers injury news, so it's always a good day in Pacerland, and that doesn't happen. Uh, they threw a wrench in our plans where we were going to do guards, forward, centers for position previews, but because Lovert's injury, which if you're here for that, you can go back one day. Yesterday we talked about it. We'll be doing backcourt today and front court tomorrow, knock on wood, barring another injury in camp. So I'm excited to break down the backcourt players and talk about one question or topic, I guess, that could define the season of each player that we've determined as a backcourt player today. Yeah, so we're going to go in alphabetical order. The 10 players from reverse are Dwayne Washington Jr., Kiefer Sykes, Edmund Sumner, TJ McConnell, Keelan Martin, Karis LeVert, Jeremy Land. Dejan Drew, I think it's how you say that. Chris Duarte, but we're going to start with maybe the Pacers' best guard? Question mark. Malcolm Brogdon. Oh, easily. Yes. Oh, it's well, uh, maybe. And let I'll let you start with the first uh, your first thought on them. Yeah, Malcolm Brogdon in for a fascinating season because the big allure of him joining the Pacers, or part of what he talked about coming here, was that he could play point guard, a role that he wanted to take on after leaving Milwaukee and being a more you know. Uh, th- third fiddle, cursory ancillary, whatever word when you use player playing off of Middleton and Giannis needed very well in that role. He won rookie of the year, but it was kind of noted that he, besides liking Indiana in general, wanted to be more involved with handling the ball, running an offense like he was at Virginia. But my question to, that will define Brogdon season a little bit is, especially as he plays more with Lavert, who I think you would argue, you were suggesting could argue as the better Pacers guard is how much will Brogdon move to an off-ball role this year, right? How much will Carlisle have him not be the guy bringing it up and starting the plays and instead have him be closer to the role he was in Milwaukee, right? The fit with Vic, we were kind of thinking that maybe that could happen with Brogdon, uh, and it didn't really, but he did move a little more off-ball last year, so I have some stats, stizats. Uh, With Milwaukee in three seasons, this is the percent of Malcolm Brogdon's made shots that were assisted. Two-pointers in Milwaukee, 41.5%, 40%. 46.7%, 46.7%, and his three-pointers, 90%, 73%, 84%, right? So a ton of his made shots in Milwaukee were assisted. Then he jumps to Indiana. His first year with McMillan, 18.7% of his two-pointers were assisted, right? So he was creating a lot of his own shots. And from three, less than half, 45%. Last year with Bjorkren, they had Vic playing more. They had Lavert playing more. It got to 25% of his two-pointers and 66% of his threes. So they went up. He was playing off ball more last year, lo and behold. Uh, his, his efficiency numbers got better. His true shooting went up 2% from his first year in Indiana. So I, my question to define Brogdon's season now that I've rambled and just added you to death is how much does he balance the point guard duties that he wanted and playing in a role that seems to be statistically a little bit better suited for him? Yeah, I think, I mean, I think he can, he definitely can play a little bit off the ball. Um, we've seen that, that he, actually yeah, it might even be a better position for him from pure percentage wise. But I think with him in general, it's just playing around good players, right? He's a really good compliment to other really good players. I mean, you saw that in Milwaukee, yep. right? So like, I don't think he, 
he he was fine last year in his role as sort of the number one offensive option. I would say he was it was either him or Sabonis last year. I think he was pretty good at it, yeah. Yeah, but the team wasn't that good, right? It turns out to like right him being number one to turn out to like you know forty wins in a seventy three game season, right? I think he, he's better off when he if he is your third or second highest scorer, you're probably winning more games just because you're a better team. Because like I don't think he's good enough to carry the team by himself. Would be my only thought with that. Yep, I agree with that. So my one question for him is a pretty simple one. We've been asking pretty much since the Pacers, I guess, technically traded for him. Uh, can he play more than like 65 games? Yep. I mean, that's, yeah, that's- I have a couple health ish questions related to today. I tried not to start early with Brogdon, but yeah, I mean, that's the perennial question with him, right? Yeah. I mean, I think that's the biggest thing for him next year because we've seen when he does play, he's very good for the Pacers. He's, you know, hell, you know, I'm sure the record with him when he does play is, is, Last year was above was near 500 or above, which is, you know, a testament to how well he played despite how bad the team was kind of around him most of the time. Um, like last year, he played 50, 56 games, but clearly if he's able to play like 65 or 70, it's kind of an, another level. Cause I think, I think that's probably the one thing that's holding him back from probably that next step where he in, you know, in 56 games put up 21 points per game, but if you do it over 70 games, that's like kind of the, the next level for him in his kind of tiers of rankings. Yeah, definitely. Uh, as Levert said on Media Day, as has been documented by a million people in the sports world, the best ability is availability. And over Brogdon's two seasons with the Pacers, Adam, when he plays, he has played in 110 games on the dot. They are 61 and 49 when he plays. Yeah. Right? So, I mean, that that's a good record. And they were under 500 last year, right? Like, it's pretty obvious how much or how good they can be when he plays. We know how good he is. And especially now that, like you noted, better teammates around him, If Le- assuming Levert can come back opening night ish or Warren can come back early ish. It could set him up to have a nice season, but you can't have a nice season if you don't play. So yeah. And I think last year was the most percentage games of the season he's played. Right. Cause obviously you had the 73 game season instead of a 82 one. I think last year he played 56 of 70. No, I played 75 games his rookie year. So that's oh, I'm, I'm sorry. When he became a starter, I'm, I'm looking at. Yes. Okay. Yes. He started the most, right. Since he became a starter and playing like start level minutes, I think it's pretty close to his 18, 19 season where he played 64 of 81. I think yep. These are like, Almost the same. Anyways, um, so the next player we want to talk about is Chris Duarte. Uh, you want me to go first this time with my yeah, you're, you're so, up. so I think the the most obvious thing for Duarte is can he fight for a I would call it a starting spot with Warren out or kind of a closer spot if they decide to go with one center. Right. I, I think we're we think we're pretty much like kind of in lockstep that he's going to to probably be in the rotation to start the season probably stay there as long as he looks, you know, even a kind of above average, especially with the injuries right now and whatnot, he should definitely be in rotation for a while. But I'm wondering is, is he going to be the kind of rookie that's just like a rotation, the eighth, ninth guy, or is he the kind of guy where like, you know, as the year goes on, you're like, Oh, this guy might need to close games because he's that good from three or that good at defense or can do both so well at, you know, I guess he's not young, but at his young rookie status. I have to sigh and, and suggest the, the third option to you. That he plays almost none know that he's not good enough to be either of those things right like your your thing is could you know is he just a rotation guy or is he is he good enough to to steal starter minutes remember tj leaf his rookie year started in the rotation and then slowly but surely it became clear that he wasn't a rotation guy and then he stopped getting any time except for garbage time down the stretch of his career like that's not impossible i don't know it's not you're right i don't think it's nearly as likely to happen with duarte given his skill set, what we've seen from him, how this team is set up. It, there's a, mi- a million reasons I could go on like and on. He has a higher floor, right? Like, is that I agree crazy? with that. I just, it's not, 
impossible that that's the case to me. But that said, yes, like that that is going to define his season quite a bit. Is do they have a rookie that can help them? Is he good enough to actually help them in any way? And if so, is that helpfulness enough to extend him into the starting lineup where he can be playing with better players? Because that that not only is big for this season for the Pacers, but like the next six or more seasons for the Pacers. Yeah, I mean, he is the, I mean, Brogdon was got two years left. Same with Levert, right? So he, you know, if he's in a good spot, he's the kind of guy that places one, one of those guys, if, frankly, if they're not, either they price out of the Pacers range or they're not good enough in two years or something happens or whatever. Yeah, he's the kind of like the future of the, he's what, one younger than Sabonis? So really the team right now is like, we're thinking like three or four years, it's a bonus in him. Uh, could be kind of the core of it if everything goes correctly. My question about his season is, does he have any off the dribble game? Any at all? Because I think we we have a, a general thought, maybe this is overplaying his hand, but that he can shoot the ball, right? That he is going to be at least okay shooting threes. And well, you're the one that, that said is, he's the, what, made 20 straight threes in practice? Yes. Uh, no. <laughs> he rang the bell because he hit 22 out of 25 in the Around the World. Drive. Oh, gotcha. That's, that's still, that's still it was still very yeah. impressive. That's still pretty impressive. It's still very good. Yeah. So he shot 42.4% his, his last season at Oregon on 144 attempts. That's pretty good. Free throw percentage over 80, right? The college stats suggests he'll be uh, like at least an okay shooter. He shot well from three in summer league. And this year, his rookie year, unlike at Oregon, he will have the easiest threes ever, right? Like all of them will be catch and shoot, basically. So he should be able to shoot, right? And I think his team defense, you know, no rookies are good at defense, but will be okay. So my question about him and how I will maybe not define that's extreme, but how I will consider his season when it's all said and done is, does he, can he beat a defender off the bounce? Can he create a shot for himself or anyone else with a dribble move? Because if he can, and he combines that with the shooting that maybe expecting is a stretch for a rookie, but that seems like likely to be something he can do at least at an okay level, then it's like, Oh, okay. Yes. This guy can be an offensive contributor for, a while, even if not a high level one, he can be in your rotation just on those skills. So if he has any off the dribble game, I think that'd be huge for me in in thinking about what I consider with his future and his development in general. Yeah, I think the perfect spot for him next year is can he shoot well to kind of like be 80% of the Doug McDermott role? Yep. I agree. That, would, that would be like the perfect thing next year for him. Doesn't need to like, you know, be a starter level player. He could just do that. And that's enough to play in the rotation for sure. Um, all right. The next player we have, Dijon Drew. What is your question for him? Mr. Two-Way. Yeah, he came in out of nowhere, but was really quite good for the Heat uh, in Summer League. And, you know, he, he put up, like, insane numbers, almost seven rebounds a game as a guard. Uh, his numbers at, at uh, Houston were similar, over five rebounds a game as a guard there. But the question for the Pacers, for a lot of these two-way guys, is, is, pr- is pretty simple. It's like, do you, do you have a thing that lets you be an NBA player? And in Drew's case, it's actually a little – my question for him is a little more serious than that because – I mean, let's say Keelan Martin makes a team. It's not ridiculous to me that, like, DeJon Drew's their third point guard on the depth chart, right? If Karras is out at all, then it's like, okay, you have Brogdon, McConnell, and then <laughs> Drew, I guess. So my question about his season that could define him is, can he contribute and be the third point guard in a pinch? It probably won't be more than, like, a game or two, right? Think about Amita Brima's role last season when he got brought in. Uh, or, you know, when Brian Bowen had to start that one game in Chicago a few seasons ago on his two-way deal, Ben Moore had to play in the rotation one game on his two-way deal, Alex Poitras. You know, we've seen Pacers two-way guys have to step up and be in the rotation. Let's say Drew's called on. We've never seen him play in the NBA. We have no idea what he can be. Can he be a reliable third-point guard? I think his defense is legit. I have no idea how good his offensive game 
creating shots for others can be at the NBA level. And that could actually be important for the team because of their low depth of point guard. Yeah. And mine, the seven question years, it's just, it's, can he push Martin off that last spot? Actually, we might thought. Yeah. Like, I mean, he right, can get like, converted deal. Yeah. And it might not even be at the start of the year, but if he can be the third point guard, they might at some point, if he on an unguaranteed deal for the entire year, think that he's, that they better off having Drew converted to a, to a full deal because it, they need him as a third point guard, essentially. Um, right. I don't know if he can. I honestly, we've not seen him a ton. I, I think I watched a couple of Houston games in, uh, in the tournament last year, I want to say, but like it just, you know, outside of, he played in summer league a little bit, but like we haven't really seen him play like any, you know, I'd say like high level NBA basketball. So we don't know what he can be, but make sure to see in the precinct at least, can he show some some signs of being the third point guard? I agree with all that. Remember Sumner when he was okay on his two way deal and with the Mad Ants got his deal converted from a two way to a standard contract, right? So they have precedent of doing that with guys they like that can help. So maybe Drew that can happen and they fill that two way with someone else. So yeah, that's a good question, uh, I think as well. Yeah. Okay, let's do this. Let's take uh, one quick break, and then we'll get to our next three players. But first, today's Locked on Pacers podcast is brought to you by Sleeper. In 2018, the fantasy sports expert at Sleeper realized that fantasy basketball was broken. Games bring won or lost based on whose players had the most scheduled games that week. It made no sense, required very little strategy. So in 2020, Sleeper released a brand new way of playing fantasy basketball. It's called Game Pick, and it's only available on Sleeper. In Game Pick, owners pick a single game per week for each starter to count towards their team's total score, ensuring an even number of games played between opponents. The days you lose your mind because your opponent simply has more games scheduled or that they played way more games you over the week are over. The days of mindless busy work are also over. The days of picking up and giving up half through your season because it's so much busy week is over. Sleeper is the way to go. I know in my league, we've done this. We're going to switch to Sleeper because... Last year, I won my league basically by playing this strategy in the weird COVID year that screwed everything up. So you should go to Sleeper right now and try one-of-a-kind game pick. is the most strategic fantasy basketball in the industry. Try Sleeper today. And we are also brought to you by Sweatblock. There are a few things in life that just aren't fun to talk about. And one of them is excessive sweating. You know the kind of sweating where you sweat through your shirt for no reason. It's kind of embarrassing, right? Well, this is not life or death, but the, and there are much worse problems in the world, but let's be honest. In the moment, it feels like a big deal. Nobody likes to pit out during an important speech, interview, or first, bait, first date, God forbid. You'd much rather not worry about it, and that's why you should use Sweatblock antiperspirant wipes. Sweatblock is stronger and more effective than most clinical antiperspirants. So you simply apply it at night, go to bed, wake up the next morning, wash, and go about your day without worrying about sweat, guaranteed. You can try Sweatblock today either online at sweatblock.com and get 20% off with the promo code locked on L O C K E D O N or find sweatblock at Amazon and CVS. All right, Tony. So we are, are back. The next three players we have, well, I'll go with the first one is Jeremy lamb. Uh, You did your your question on drew first, right? So I should go first this time. Yep. All right. So lamb, it's pretty simple. I think I've said it a few times, how real was his 40% three point shooting last year? Ooh, that is a good one. You know, I, I, I didn't really, I kind of went the opposite direction completely with that question. But yeah, that's huge. That's, that'd be huge for him, right? Because he wasn't a good shooter really at all. No, or, I mean, he was an okay shooter, right? I mean, you go back, it's like, I mean, he's had a 30 You know, one above average season his whole career pre last year. Yeah, 37% Charlotte yep. three years ago now. Wow. I mean, but, but he was really legit. Like, he took a lot of threes when he played last year. Yeah, I mean, if, if he's a 40% three point shooter with like any kind of average defense, or not even average, like slightly leveraged, he's like, easily in the rotation and the backup two guard. 
at times. I mean, between him and Duarte, right, depending who can shoot better. But like, if his three point shooting is is legit, like was last year, that's that's like kind of a a next step for him. And you can, like I said, you can blame some of the defense on his being his injury recovery year. So I'm interested to see if that can convert. I'm skeptical, but we'll see. I think a reasonable outcome for me for him with the threes is, you know, basically his Charlotte numbers uh, over the course of his Charlotte career. He shot 34% from deep on about three attempts per game. But, you know, he, he shot better than that with the Pacers. So and I think he's he's gotten better at that. And the other thing that is the case with shooting, we saw this with Vic a little bit, although, you know, he, he was so bizarre and hard to read his game when he returned from injury. But he shot pretty well. From deep when he came back, uh, you know, he shot 36% that in those nine games before getting traded that other year. And he took a ton in the bubble, but he was okay at the threes. Remember the, the game tying three against Chicago right after he returned, right? The reason I bring that up is when these guys are hurt with these knee injuries, they can do a lot of arm stuff, right? They, during the rehab process. So they just really like focus on in on their shooting form and how that and can help them. So I think Lamb did something similar. Too. Huh? Injury. You, when you're injured post injury, you, you set up for that three point shot more. Yeah, just yeah. because it's easier than driving. Well, you just mentioned my my thing with him, and that you know he settled a lot for shots last year, and he got he had a lot of catch and shoot opportunities, but that's because he wasn't playing the same way he was in 1920. So my Jeremy Lamb question is how much how can he get back to 2019 20 Lamb? Because even if he was just a backup level guy that year, he was still a backup level guy, which he wasn't that last year. Like his defense was that bad last year that he, even at 40% from three, was barely a rotation level guy. Whereas two years ago with way worse three point shooting, he was a rotation level guy. And one is that instead of being like the worst defender in the NBA, two years ago, he was just like in the bottom 15%. And also two years ago, I got a call back on a stat I talked about earlier. He could get his own shot up, right? Like he could take two dribbles and get to the elbow and he was money from that elbow spot. So with his, in his first season with the Pacers, he's doing that percentage of made shots that were assisted thing again, in his first season with the Pacers, 37% of his made twos were assisted. 76% of his made threes last year, 53% of his made twos were assisted and 83% of his made threes. So way higher percentage of his shots were assisted, meaning he couldn't reliably create his own made shots. And I think that's a big part of him getting back to his two years ago self as well. Maybe that hurts his three point percentage some, but having any sort of like way to beat a closeout or beat a defender is more reliable to me than shooting. So I think if he can get closer to that, he can be a little more valuable this season. Yeah, I would agree with you. I, I the biggest thing with him is what, what point does he get too valuable to trade? Right. That's also, <laughs> I don't know if that'll like, ever happen. Right. No, maybe not, but like, right. Unless Levert's injury is super serious. Both basically. things we talked about are about like just him getting his value to a point where he can be traded. I just, I wonder if there's a point where he, like, if he really gets like, like, you know, shoots 40% of three and is whatever is kind of better at the defensive end and, and is less settling and stuff like that. Does he all of a sudden reach the point of like, you just got to keep him because he's kind of your seventh or eighth best player? Because, <laughs> and with injuries, you might need that even uh, him to be as like your, you're what he's like the fifth guard right now. You might need that with all the injuries that have been piling up. Do, do we need to go through the experience of, of McDermott and uh, of other guys who left on an expiring contract after being the seventh best player? And a bunch of people in our mentions were like, why didn't they trade that guy? Especially with a guy they were already thinking about trading. I think, <laughs> I think that would be a, a, yeah. a not great choice, but I understand what you're saying. True. I didn't think about that. They should have probably traded McDermott last year. Not, not that we well, they, that. they probably thought they could keep him. But Remember, then, when the trade line, weren't they like at the four seat of the trade line? And then it flipped. Uh, like six ish. Yeah. Yeah. They were, they were like legit ish. Not like. Yeah. And Turner was healthy and Brogdon was healthy. Yeah. They were first round competitive versus what they ended up. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. Well, they were make the playoffs competitive. 
Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. that's that's kind of what what, what I mean. Well, anyway. again, I, I think they thought they could keep keep McDermott and McConnell. I really do think that. I think they wanted to, but again, money. Yeah, money. Can't All right, Karis Levert is next. Um, we're gonna avoid the obvious injury one. I, I maybe that's yours, but that no, it's not. It's not you. you I went first. Last, I went first last time. I felt like that was uh, too low hanging. And again, if you are here for Karis Levert injury discussion, yesterday's episode, break that all down. Levert, my question for him is, and this may be hard to quantify, how much does an offseason with a new team help you? Or how much does being with the team for camp help you be a part of the team when the season goes on? And I know he's not playing playing in camp uh, or preseason games, but one, we have the footage of the California workouts that he was involved in. So he played with the team this summer. He's still in practice. Like he can see the sets, see what guys' tendencies are and all that. A lot of continuity with the team in general, but he'll just be more up to speed when the season starts this time than he was last time by a lot. And his conditioning, you know, he talked about that being not a problem for him last year, but he was never quite at full conditioning level. He might not reach that for a little bit this year because of his current back injury. But, you know, all the, the being with a team for the offseason that you're entering the season with has some value that he didn't have with the Pacers last year. And I'll be curious how much that boosts his ability to set up his teammates mostly because he'll know their tendencies, but also you know, screen timing, that, that kind of little stuff. We're like, oh, this guy's going to cut. I, I know he's going to cut because I've seen this in practice a million times. Like that kind of stuff really adds up. So I, I, I'm curious to see how much that helps him. Yeah, the the good thing about or maybe the blessing in disguise about him missing these what basically going to be training camp uh, is that he did play with the guys last year. So like yep. he didn't, he got a full office and plus he got like part of a season. So it's better than it being like a brand new player. Like he get he has some, kind of like built up knowledge of how guys play. Obviously you have to adjust to playing somebody like Warren and Duarte kind of the, 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 the new players, but like he knows Brogdon at least somewhat well, suppose a little bit kind of thing. Like he's played them enough that he should be able to kind of have some uh, muscle memory from those things. Um, for me, the big question for him is can he play as a lead ball handler and for how much? Uh, I think we expect him to be sort of the emergency point guard at times. Yep. But I'm interested to see, like, can he play, like, in a, let's say in a, if we take the five starters and there's 100 possessions, is, like, 40 of them with Brogdon as point guard, him as him 30, uh, Levert 30, and, like, Sabonis 30, right? Can can Levert be, like, a basically the, like, lead ball handler a third of the time for this team? And I don't know the question. I don't answer that question. I just like, like, would like to see it this year. Yeah, I think it depends a little bit on his passing ability. We figured out last year he could score for this team, and a lot of it was they needed him to because other guys were hurt. But remember, a big thing for him in Brooklyn, and their offense's styles were different, but he averaged like six assists with Brooklyn last year, 5.2, or excuse me, 4.4 the season before that with them, or less than five with the Pacers, right? So uh, he was clearly more focused on being the scorer, which is fine, but if he has all these other teammates playing, can he be the lead ball handler to set up those guys? I think that's a big part of that. Yeah, I mean, it, I think it's the same we, we asked with Vic for a while, right? That two-guard spot, you can have a two-guard who can play shooting guard but also be like a semi-point guard for a third of the time it's, it's a really valuable thing to have especially when you have a point guard in Brogdon who's not like your like quintessential traditional point guard right he also is sort of a yeah. two-guard playing in the point guard all, all NBA Vic should have been a point guard I think still yeah, to this day we, 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 we try Darren, to die on that hill but he played with Darren Carlson who was like the most efficient offensive player that 2017-18 season yeah yeah the same it's, time yeah, I, just, I mean, that helped Vic. Vic's mean, really Carl- good. Give him the ball. <laughs> remember, Carlson led the league in three-point percentage and, like, had the highest turnover ratio in the league. Like, it was... He had the, high, he had the highest three-point percentage that you're, like, by a lot. He and shot, like, 40. I think he shot, like, 44%. In 47. Half, okay, and what, do you have a four-and-a-half to one assist turnover ratio? Like, yeah. he averaged, like, seven he was assists nuts that year. in, like, one turnover? I mean, it, it, was, it was weird. 
Like it, Vic made Darren Collison and Corey Joseph look like like good players. Like Corey Joseph and him were like the most annoying backcourt ever to play against that year. I think Collison actually was legit good. He was good the next year, kind of too. So I think Collison might have been. Yeah, he turned the ball over a lot more that year. Ah, we know anyway, we're, we're distracted. We're going on. Yeah, we've gone down the rabbit hole a little bit. Um, all right, we got we have one more player. But can Karras chase the Vic point guard role? I I doubt it, but maybe. Yeah, I think the, the last player we have for this segment is Keelan Martin. And I, I have the same question as you. I think it's the That's most fair. Obvious. We're allowed to have the same question for guys. I mean, it's the most obvious one. I can't, I, I like, I saw yours. I was thinking of one. I'm like, I'm, I, that's the perfect one. It's uh, will he make the team? Right. Does, because we know what Keelan is, I think. I mean, he had that big 25 point game in Cleveland and that big, uh, I think, three or four threes in one game in San Antonio to, to, to you know, give them wins. It makes you go, hmm, you know, maybe, maybe this guy is something. But we kind of know he's just like, a uh, really deep reserve guy who's like pretty good and confident himself uh, in that role. He's pretty good. I mean, but maybe not quite NBA level and they have, you know, there's a lot of injuries, so it doesn't really matter right now, but in general, they have a lot of guys at his position. So can he rise above the, the point guard crew, the Nate Hinton crew, the Terry Taylor crew and go, I deserve to be the 15th guy on this team. And uh, even if my deal is non-guaranteed, I get paid to play. So uh, can he prove to be the 15th guy on this team? KP called him the favorite, but he also said he's got to make the team, which means he has to actually prove it in camp. Uh, I saw him ring the bell on, uh, on, but I oh, thought he, did, he didn't, he didn't hit 20. I thought he, no, he hit 19. I saw him hit 19 and then, and then rim out the last one. But uh, Scott saw he Scott saw him ring the bell during his interview with Carlisle today, I think was in his piece. So, okay. We'll see. I mean, that that's the thing of his season. If he's contributing at the level he did last year, it just means the Pacers are just their seasons off the rails like it was last year. So ideally, there's no questions to that extent. And the, the follow up question, even to me, if after will he make the team is can he last past the league wide cutdown date? And I would also doubt it for that. So, uh, yeah, his question is just. It was very little about what he can actually do for the team and and more so will he be on the team? Yeah, he's probably gonna need some injury luck from other players to save his spot too, unless he's like also gonna step up and be really good, right? I think if like a McConnell abroad then goes down, he's probably the guy on the time block for that for a back yeah. guard spot. I mean, unless like I said, once one of the two way guys steps up, I mean he's just gonna or be keeper in or who they apparently yeah, like. Yeah, but then but if keeper steps up, then are they gonna cut Martin then? Yep. So that's yep. what I mean. Like Martin's pretty much kind of like He's gonna even if he makes the team, he's gonna be kind of in a really like hope basically everybody stays kind of healthy spot. Otherwise, he'll be the first one cut when they need to make a move for their 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 week at. Yeah, agreed. So okay, we got we got four players left to do, but first take one quick break because today we are brought to you by Rock Auto. The ever-increasing numbers of makes and models is now impossible for your local chain auto parts store to stock all the parts you need. Winder of opponents receiving intimidating questioning and wait a person behind the counter orders the parts on their computer choosing the only brand the warehouse happens to carry. You have a computer at rockauto.com at your home or in your pocket. You can save time and money with Rock Auto. So why choose to spend 30%, 50%, even 100% more for the same parts from a chain store or car dealership? Rock Auto is a family business serving do-yourselfers online for over 20 years. The prices were always reliably low for every customer. They everything you think of for your car. Go and explore their easy welcome today and find the solution to your auto parts need. Go to rockauto.com right now. See all the parts available for your car or truck. Write locked on in the how to hear us box so they know that we sent you. Main selection, reliable low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. Rockauto.com. And we are also brought to you by betonline.ag. We're back and better than ever. All eyes are on the grid as teams are back 
for another football season. As always, BetOnline.ig is your number one spot for all the pro and college football action this season. With the new updated site and interface, even more odds, props, and contests, BetOnline.ig continues to be the number one source for everything football. Head over to the website today or your mobile device. Sign up today to receive your 100% welcome bonus. That's double your initial deposit just by signing up. Don't forget promo code lock, locked on or promo code NFL100. From football to basketball to boxing to right to your favorite base casino games, don't want to take advantage of all the amazing offers available for the 2021 season. Bet online, the fastest way to bet on all your favorite sports. BetOnline.ag, your online sports book experts. All right, Tony. So we have four players left. Do you want to go first for TJ McConnell? Sure. Mine's very vague for him, which which feels kind of maybe unfair is not the right word, but not like the perfect way to discuss where he's going. But we see with him every year of his career as a guy who went undrafted and had to fight like hell to even make the league and then fight like hell to make rotation and then, you know, get a contract and then get another one. He always gets a better at like something. And, you know, from year one to two with the Pacers, he got a little better at scoring. He definitely got better as a setup man. Right. He was an awesome pastor last year. And he led the league in steals, like total steals, like his peskiness on defense certainly ramped up last season. He got better. How could he get better now? Because given what he's not good at, it's hard to see where that next step is. I mean, it, obviously, you can just look and go, oh, he's not a good shooter. He can get better at shooting. Like, yeah, every player can can practice their three-point shot, whatever. But, like, can he find a way to be a little better off ball? Like, can he get be a better cutter? Can he be a guy who can draw a few more fouls, right? He always is fading away in the lane. He's, he's really good at that five, 10 footer, but again, you know, can he add something to his game to make him a little better? And, you know, you always worry at his size that, you know, maybe it is pretty hard for him to, to find another gear or to find another skill, but every year of his career, he, he's found a way. So how can he do that again? And how much does that help the team? What kind of define his season to me? Is he just another backup point guard or can he be like the sixth man again, like last year? I mean, shooting is the obvious, like, yeah, one for him. I mean, you it's can not say that shoot. for everybody, so it feels a little lazy. No, but, but he's yeah. especially bad at like his, his jumper. He could he, like easily get a little better at that and be like it would improve his like right. He shot thirty one percent from three on about what it was like it's point seven attempts. Took a game. lot more at the end of the season, right? Am I crazy? He had like uh, a huge corner three to like bury the Timberwolves. I he, remember he, he took a decent amount last year. I think that was a big push from Bjork and within the. Not really. He only took like fifty. <laughs> no, but the year before he took like what. Five, yeah, not very many. Yeah, so I, that's what I mean. It went it took 17 the year before, so, so I mean, from that's April why was... onward, he hit 32 percent of one per game, which is like still a complete non shooter. But compared well, to what he per game is, it's a lot for him when he was just like, What do you yeah, yeah. shot two years ago? So <laughs> I don't know. I mean, he could shoot one per game and make about 34 percent. That's even like a, just like slightly better. And so I think know. he talked about at his signing press conference was that he and his dad, I think, or his shooting coach, maybe that's the same person are working on getting the hitch out of his jumper. So maybe he is like focused on having a more fluid three. Yeah, he's got kind of a, a weird. Yeah. So I think he's trying to work that out, which is hard when you've been shooting the same way for 28 years. But again, this, he gets better every year. So if he get maybe he gets his form down and you know, I've seen, we've seen Jenny Bouchek working with him at practice on his jumper. Maybe that's what it is. Maybe it's the jumper, but I think there are other ways, but still my question is where's his next step of improvement. And if there's none, he's still very valuable, but, but if there, if it is there, how much does that help the team? Yeah, that's fair. So with mine, this is probably the first time I didn't take this as serious, I guess I would say. No, For me, it. it's more of a joke with his. It's kind of like, what does it look like when McConnell is not like fighting for a bubble spot, right? I think pretty much every year of his career, he's been sort of hanging on like one bad season away from basically being maybe not out of the league, but like out of rotation, having to fight for like the 12 or 13 spot on a roster. Well, this year we know he now has a guaranteed contract with decent money, right? Good money for a guy like him for sure. 
So like, what does that look like? Does he, does his motivation stay the same? I, I assume it will, but like, that certainly is something different for him. He's no longer like this, the like scrappy have to like fight for the last roster spot. Now it's like, he's a scrappy player that's making $8 million a year. Yeah, that, that, that's uh that's a good way to put it. Uh, I can't imagine his mentality being like a rollover and settling guy. Oh, I don't think but, so either. I just think it's interesting. Yeah, no, it certainly is. You know, you never know how those mentality changes change guys and, yeah, no Aaron Holiday right behind him. In fact, as of right now, nobody at all right right, right behind him. So yeah, he's like basically like been given the keys to the backup point guard spot. <laughs> His spot is very secure. Man. His spot is very secure. My joke question was the next guy. So that, that's okay. Nice. Well, then you you go first because mine's not. It's summer to yours, but not quite the same. Well, I made two, but I'll do the, the joke you one first. Edmund Sumner is next uh, out for the season, likely with an Achilles injury. So my jokey question that we brought up yesterday is how did school go? Brad, because he is again re-enrolling at Xavier for his season off, gonna try to get some progress, maybe finish his degree uh this season, which is a great way to use your time when you can't play basketball. So uh, I hope school goes well for him, and that is about all that can define his season since he probably won't play. Yeah, I, I my question with him is a little more like later in the season, but is he gonna come back on like on a one-year deal? And does he oh an extension? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, does he sound like a non-guarantee extension just so he can make like you know, I mean, oh, he guarantee. would never do that. No way. You don't think so? You think he's no. always that low? Okay. I All would right. never sign a non-guaranteed extension as any NBA player. Well, so here's why I would say he might do that. If his injury is really a year-long in, in injury, he might need to like have the guarantee date to like let's say the start of next year just to be able to stay in the building and continue rehabbing, right? He doesn't want to go like turn July, still rehabbing and not be able to stay at the team. So this might really be a kind of one season, one season recovery, so two-year in, in, injury for him. So maybe he just wants to be able to stay in the building if possible. But um, I, I suppose just, that's possible, but I would have a hard – I guess I thought this with Jakar too, but I'd have a hard time believing he can't even get a guaranteed minimum somewhere next year. I mean, you would think. He, but I he thought that with Jakar, and he didn't. Yeah, but he definitely – he's shown him more as an NBA player than Jakar. Agreed. But, I but the injuries are, are rough. I mean, it's, what, third – basically like leg related injury right he said both acl tears plus now it's his achilles and that's like so those are three of the more major injuries for an nba player my slightly more serious question for him was can he play at all uh i i really doubt it i really doubt it but we have seen in the WNBA specifically some people come back from achilles uh year-long injuries i thought i just not long no in the w we've seen like nine month timelines for these people Mm. and I, i forget what nba player it was who came back a little quicker from this again, nine months from when we learned the injury was is still still like May, April ish. So it would either require a deep Pacers run or him or him healing very quickly. Uh, all of September, October, December, November, I skipped a month, January, February, March, April. I mean, that's, that's all your months right there. So very unlikely. Can you play it all? I very much doubt it, but yeah, I don't think he's going to play any, but uh, like 0.001% chance. You, you, you certainly have, have your hope. Um, all right. The next guy we're going to do is Kiefer Sykes. I'll do mine. It's somewhat of yours, but I, my question is, is he, is he the Pacers third point guard? Who knows? Is he actually NBA quality? You know, his preseason was good. Well, his preseason was weird because the first two games he came off the bench and he didn't look that good at all. Um, Just was kind of there. And then the last three games he started and looked awesome. Like the guy that, you know, they're J. Michael reported, they're considering like, oh, how do we, how do we get to our team? And he's got that toughness and tenacity. He can create a shot a little bit. Um, In his past preseasons, Played for the Spurs in 2016 preseason. Adam, guess how many shots he made in that preseason? Zero. Zero. 18.8 minutes per game. Did not make a shot. 
in that preseason. Yikes. That's, that's concerning because the preseason. Yikes. Everybody gets at least one shot wide open. That was a half decade ago. I will give him the benefit of the doubt. He played for the uh, the Zhangzhou Loon Lions from China in their preseason tour in 2019-20. Looked like a much more capable player. Shot 39% from three. Scored 14 points a game uh, when they were touring. And that was against NBA teams. That was against the Sixers and the Wizards. So, like, he, he's had – he's shown that he, against NBA players, he's like, can do some stuff. So if he looks okay in the preseason, my question is, is, you know, can he make the team? Same with same with Keelan's question. Uh, if, if he if he looks good in the preseason, I personally would probably value him over Keelan just because of his position. And there's a little bit of tax savings by going with the zero years of service guy instead of a two years of service guy. But he has to look pretty good just because I know what I have with Keelan, and I have no idea what I have with this guy. He's never played in the NBA before. But um, yeah, can he make the team? Can he show anything? at all that makes me confident that he can that he can get out there he'd be quite the story though if he made the team and ended up playing at all next year yeah, yeah. i mean like right i mean go from a guy who what he goes to basically like a small college in, in green bay it's, it's a rising league as it was back then when they played with butler in the rising league. i don't even know that league still exists so like a super super small college guy goes undrafted doesn't make the nba for five years travels you know all over playing in china playing it looks like he played probably in turkey a little bit too or greece and then he wins what he went to bayheim with bam's army and the tvt that makes an nba team that'd be like quite quite a story for him but uh I don't yeah know. i'm not optimistic he's gonna make the team but it would be cool if he did i'd be super cool for him uh super cool for him but even even if he doesn't you know he got the big he got the full exhibit 10 bonus um, so just being able to be close to your family and, and get between tbt g league money and that bonus like make quite a bit uh, it's huge for him, so uh, that's, that's exciting. Good for yeah, him. Yeah, he's to from Chicago, so yeah, definitely get back stateside, get by your family, and play yeah. well. You know, I'm not not saying that European basketball is like bad, but in a lot of people's scenario, getting back home is nice. Yes, totally. All right, so the last guy we have is if I can, I just wrote down Wayne Washington, name. Dwayne Washington Jr. Tony <laughs> Jr. Yes, excuse me, Mr. Junior. Yeah. No, I wrote, I wrote down Washington. I'm like, what? I'm actually just get his first name. Right? Oh, oh. <laughs> on my on my little list. Uh, I think I'm 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 going first this time, right? You are. All right. So mine is is probably more of uh like, well, is probably answered right now. But has he done enough to lock in the two way deal for sure? Obviously, he has a two way contract, but those are pretty like expendable. And you know, he's not a point guard. Pacers need as many points as possible. Does something happen where he just is not a lock for that two-way spot and there's somebody else they want to convert, whether it's somebody they they brought in on Exhibit 10 or somebody else that gets dropped somewhere else from some other team? Uh, yeah, you know, I, I think they signed him to the two-way right away. I think that he is kind of a lock to keep it. That's purely anecdotal reasoning, but um, I think he's he's pretty likely to keep it. But, you know, it's not impossible that, you know, with their dynamic point guard situation that things could change. For him, we saw exactly the type of player I think he is in the preseason with that outside shooting in the first game. So, uh, if he carry, if he even has just one preseason game like that, he's a lock to make the team on a two. Yeah, he scored a lot me. of points similarly. That, that's certainly like right in that first game. He scored a lot of points in that first game. That certainly kind of pops. What do you think about it? Yeah, tons, tons. He was like their best player that game. Yeah, right. He had like 24 points that game. I'm thinking, remember? I don't remember the exact something, something 20 plus. I think so. My question for him is. You know, he, he's a good shooter. Again, we just saw that in the game. But can he kind of stabilize and be consistent as a shooter? Because this is going to sound kind of fake, right? He played 31 games his junior year at Ohio State. He shot, first of all, he shot 37% from three that season on eight attempts per game. That's crazy. That's a lot of threes, right? Probably a good shooter, good free throw shooter. Like all the stats, his form suggests he's a good shooter. But he's super, 
streaky. So for a guy who shot that percentage, he shot between 30 and 40% six times in 31 games, right? He had 13 games at 40% or higher, and he had 12 games below 30%, right? He is all over the place. He is super streaky. He's a bunch of games where he's three for 11, three for 12, two for nine, two for nine at Ohio State. Also games, right? Uh, a bunch of five for tens, a six for nine, a five for seven, right? We saw that again to, to call back to summer league. The only time we've seen him with the Pacers, we saw that in summer league. He was on fire in their first game and then was, was kind of a ghost for much of their other performances. So can he lock in that consistency? Because if he's that level of shooter all the time, then great. He'll probably have a chance to make an NBA roster even next year. But if not, he'll probably uh, have to find some other ways to contribute. Yeah, on a, on a weird center, I, I look, looked him up on a, a Twitter page. Do you know what his tattoo says? You uh, you were saw him in person. I uh, don't. Where what where no? I don't know what it says either. I'm trying to read it. He's got a very really awesome like I think it's a like, left arm sleeve of tattoos. It's like a bunch of text, and then it looks like a woman and some Roman numerals. I know all kinds of stuff. Anyway, excited to get to know the, the two guys a little better. I always kind of overplay. You should ask uh, him what his tattoo on his. I mean, you can probably read it when he goes up to him, but you could ask him what it means on his arm. It's good. His uh, left arm. Oh, he's got a whole sleeve. Yeah, and it's got like a bunch of text. I just can't tell what it says yeah. in pictures. I know if- oh, yeah. Wow. I see oh. what you're saying now. That might be the most interesting thing for me this year with him, assuming he just plays on, on, on the two-way all year and they don't really need a, another two-guard. I think cases. that the point guard situation could cause point guards to shift in the two-way race, but I think I think Dwayne's probably locked into his spot. Yeah, I think you're probably right. I mean, there's just – with the two-way guys, it's it's hard to have like a lot when it comes – right and this is a subtle thing too but the man it's probably want the shooting also right so (laughs) that's probably another benefit of keeping him on do you think the pacers really care what the madness wants at all yes absolutely are you being serious yes 100 how how do you think they got o'shea brissett they drafted him in the g league draft and set up a good team around him to try to figure out what skills they had and they were like oh wow this guy's good oh i was thinking more that they just like, like any other minor league team is sort of, they don't, they just do whatever they can to make sure they, you know, basically boost up their most talented players. I don't know if they care what the Mad Ants like style is. Maybe they, maybe they want to try certain styles with the Mad Ants to see how they work, but I'm not sure there's, I think a lot of times it's more like we want to send this player there to see if he can be good or whatnot. Uh, yeah, well, part of seeing if he can be good is setting him up in a situation to be good. So I think having shooters can help both Washington and other guys who play for the Mad Ants. Yeah. I just don't know if they, care that much with the man it's like really uh right? like i, I that, know that they do i know that okay all right i just i mean you went you went to the indians game today the indians game i doubt they care what the with the the, the, the pirates still the pirates really care what the indians pirates are awful well, that also doesn't help they're Anyways, horrible this year um anything else on the on the 10 i guess we'd call them point guards and shooting guards no we, we, yeah, we cheated a little with keelan uh to to make it an even 10 and 10 for these two shows but no i got nothing else today we'll do the front court guys tomorrow, which will also be extremely fun. This was a fun way to do this for me because we had kind of two angles on each guy to, to look ahead at what they need to do to, to make this a successful season for the Pacers. But we didn't even do this question for all of them. Uh, all 10 of them, this question is important. Uh, can they stay healthy? Yeah, we did it for just one, right? <laughs> yeah, we only did one guy there, but we could have done it for several of them. Yeah, so obviously the 10 players we have tomorrow are going to be the centers and the forwards, players didn't do today. The Sabonis's, the Warrens, the Turners, so on. So that'll be tomorrow's show. Uh, we did a couple media day shows earlier this week. We talked about Karis versus in- injury on Wednesday's show, right? Wednesday's show. And we did a media day breakdown on Tuesday. You can find that wherever you listen to this podcast on our Locked on Pacers podcast feed. 
As always, you can follow us on Twitter at Locked on Pacers, Tony at Teased NBA, me at Free Madam 5. That is all for his Locked on Pacers podcast. We'll see you guys again tomorrow.